0: This week on the podcast, Hollywood ruins everything, just like it does every other week. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world. We're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome, everyone, once again to the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and this week, my friends Chris and Eric are going to join me for a conversation about legendary Hong Kong filmmaker John Woo, his career starting in Hong Kong and then moving to Hollywood where, well, things changed a bit. Here's the deal. You're going to hear Eric make a reference to this intro because he's going to talk like he was talking, but he never recorded an intro or if he did, he never sent one to me. So, hey, this is the intro you're getting now. Deal with it. All right. So, yeah, this is about a filmmaker that I know nothing about and therefore I can't make a good intro about. I can just tell you that Chris and Eric are going to have a great conversation after we get through the fresh shit where Eric and I talk about the Cruel World Festival and a whole bunch of uh, awesome bands that we went and saw a couple weeks. Ago, Uh, So, yeah, check that out, and if you want to send us any feedback, hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge on Twitter, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. We are also on Instagram and Facebook as the Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and you can find links to all the ways to contact us on our website, maghuge.com. As always, we're trying to grow the show, so please share it on your social media feeds subscribe to the podcast uh, rate us on itunes you know the drill all right uh let's, let's let's just get it to it
1: that's true what's true i don't know i don't know whatever we were just
2: talking about but <laughs> never mind oh, the behind the scenes shenanigans where yes uh <laughs> we, f- we fumble about <laughs> because uh we're totally clueless about how this podcasting he's, thing works
0: he's he's agreeing with the intro i think
2: <laughs> oh, yes oh oh the <laughs> one good, that right I, yeah the one that he forgot that our full names are uh, in a couple weeks ago yeah that one okay yeah. okay
1: and and uh, the one i just you know recorded but i, I no no the one I, that, that you just heard but i haven't recorded yet oh boy okay. nobody cares how we make the sausage this is magnificently just, huge i'm eric i'm chris hi eric i'm brian
2: <laughs> well, All right, we did it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Uh, God knows who you are, and we so no, you he said it. Us. He said it. It was yeah. just we
0: were talking at the same time. Oh, we're I good. meant the listener. I meant the it listener. How? Oh. Yeah, we don't is, do you exist, listener. <laughs> we doubt it. Let's okay. Just,
2: can we please just do the fresh shit? God damn it!
3: This shit is fresh. Oh shit! It is fresh. This stuff is real.
2: So you guys went to a a goth festival. Let's hear about this, right? <laughs> we what was did. this shit what was this shit about? We went Tell we us. went
1: to an a, a festival of eighties bands that don't suck. You know? There was no Jody Watley. There was no Outfield. <laughs> How there dare was you no, sir? No Poison or Slayer or Wadocken. No, these were only the good bands. Uh and I got to see Bauhaus live, something I never thought I'd get, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this was the Cruel World Fest in
0: Pasadena. Um, that's so funny. Bands, it's so fans in Pasadena.
2: Okay. Like, why Pasadena of all places? That's just
0: because L.A. I don't know, man. Because
1: okay. that's where it was. Okay. Um, you don't get more punk rock than Pasadena. <laughs>
3: that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true.
1: So um, let's. Let,
0: let's write it down. Well, first of all, yeah, Bauhaus. I mean, let's just let's just cut to the chase that they were they were actually the second to last band to play this thing. Yeah. Um, Morrissey was but, the
1: headliner, but Bauhaus oh owned it. Fight me. I no, mean, that's, everybody <laughs> agrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Morrissey can suck it. You know, I hate that guy. Morrissey somewhat. gave a Morrissey show. Morrissey played his songs. Morrissey yeah. was you know everything you expect, except Morrissey has like a palpable dislike for his audience and yeah, you can yeah. feel it and it's just like you know yeah I know you guys are all lucky to be here seeing me thank you like yeah, yeah. Morrissey
0: um, made sure that all of the concessions at the Cruel World Festival all day long were vegan
1: um, so Good there was Lord that Lord. And um, I kept thinking that. of ways to bring like a a big turkey leg from Disneyland over, and just like <laughs> try and get a get yeah. like into the front row and just munch it in front of him. Like, hey, no, that's, that's a well, good shot. No, better, better still, I'm just
2: chuck it at him. Just chuck it right at his fucking head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, all the people who went the second day gained from knowledge from the first day people when we we were reporting well they're not checking bags so people on the second day were just bringing footlong
2: subs and stuff in
0: yeah. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> but anyway As um
2: well let me ask you this so, before so, you get into it so if if in the past if i've seen separately uh peter murphy and love and rockets does that combine to make sure that i've seen Bauhaus? Does that work? Is no. Uh uh Because
0: because Peter Murphy solo sucks, but Peter Murphy in Bauhaus is uh, the freaking king of the goths. Like he okay. he owned yeah.
3: it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh,
1: Uh, Bauhaus is like, yeah, they are the forerunner of goth music, and it's, it's like the primer for so many bands that came after. That's why it's so amazing to see them. I'm, I, I, there are a bunch of their songs I love. Uh, I mean, Bella Lugosi's Dead is their whip it, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. They've got a bunch of great songs, but it, what, what I think is great is they're kind of like Nine Inch Nails. They created their own thing, and then a bunch of people came in and sort of copied it better. So it, right. it it's it's okay that Peter Murphy and Love and Rockets went off and did something different. They started it. Okay. Well yeah.
2: was it was it an outdoor show?
1: It was, was. It, yeah. it was okay. hot
0: ninety-two degrees.
2: So, <laughs> so I love the fact that it's a goth themed
1: show Oh, it's out, dude. outdoors there was, and it's like a hundred and fifty degrees. I mean that's there just are people hilarious. dressed up in leathers. There yeah. are uh, women in like like those full black corsets. Everyone, it's like the Portlandia episode where the the, the yes. go to the beach yeah. with Glenn Danzig. Yes. It's just like that, nice. and I'm watching, walking around, just like, oh, let's let's wait for one of them to explode. Yeah, really, there's no way they can
2: survive this. That's that's funny. That would almost be yeah. worth the price of admission to me. But okay so it was a good show yeah they, they played it was a good hits. show
0: other bands okay. I saw so the bands I went and saw uh, finally got to see the English Beat live that was a lot of fun okay. um so recommend checking out their show they tour constantly was, so uh, so Wakeling somewhere. was playing with them yeah Wakeling was playing I mean obviously okay. Ranking Rogers you know no longer with us but right. the, the the guy they had doing that host responsibility was up to the task okay. and the saxophonist was fantastic nice um so then uh saw missing persons and boy they're just yeah, they're not they're yeah, not it's doing a so great. Sad. It's
1: a little sad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's, um,
2: that's a that's a hard genie to put back in the bottle, missing persons. They were know, very much like that two two years where they were really big. I don't think you can recreate that. Especially forty years later.
0: I I saw them in one of those you know lost '80s tours a couple years back, and they were they were better. They're they're just slowly they just were not in the groove at all. They were just not in sync with each other. Maybe it's because it was 115
2: um, degrees. Who knows? Also
0: that yeah. Um, and then we saw
2: Public Image Limited. The yeah, full, how weird was that? The full <laughs> deal. <laughs> Like with Johnny Rotten's now just like a curmudgeonly old senior citizen.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he's still pissed at everything. Like he's he's just hated everything forever. Yeah. Dude dude had a music stand so he could remember his own lyrics. Um Yeah. You know, that was that's fun. awesome. That's fun. But but he's you know, he gave a good show and I gotta say, you know, ten to twenty thousand people chanting anger is an energy at the end of Rise uh, was a, was a highlight of the show for me. Um okay. this is also the point at which like the sun is finally starting to go down and we're all like tired and strung out and you know trying to find shade and it's it's slowly cooling down and this is the point at which like things pick up again because cuz we're cooling down. Dude, this is the reason uh, I
2: don't go to festivals anymore. Oh, it's <laughs> it was it was everything. a marathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have it in me. But, you know, go But going but
0: in. then Devo shows up. So mostly rocked. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were really good.
3: good.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. Best. Uh, I've only seen Devo twice now, um, but this one they did a great job of like starting off with some of the more you know more recent or at least you know oh no it's Devo and Freedom of Choice stuff and one song off of Something for Everybody you know and and so they kind of get the crowd. Going, and then they just start playing whatever the goddamn fuck they want to. They played <laughs> Mongoloid. Okay, yes. they played Secret Agent Man. <laughs> nice space junk. Can we get some space junk? Uh, we didn't get space junk, but we just okay. got a whole bunch of the early, you know. So you got Smart Patrol, and Mr. DNA, and and Satisfaction, and I you don't, know. and I think yeah. they
1: they did they almost did, they must have intentionally left off Beautiful World. I love that they didn't play that song.
0: Yeah, well, it was a shorter set too, so I don't I don't mind Beautiful though. They used to end the set with Beautiful World, I think. But anyway, um, yeah, Devo killed it. They had costume changes. They had all their video synced up, of course, because Gerald Casal you know, directed all that stuff. Yeah.
2: live like 1989 when i was attending University of southern california and like the student union somehow got them to do some sort of friday night free on the quad show and it was the most stunning thing i think i've ever seen because it's literally like just a few hundred people watching devo in a park and it was fucking amazing and then that was around (laughs) the same time that now it can be told came out the their 10-year anniversary live album and that is still one of the best live albums i have ever seen so i I think
1: anybody who can see Devo live should go see Devo live because they yeah. kill. Yeah. They, they always kill. bring it. I've that's oh, yeah. like the fifth time I've seen them and there was one show where they were kind of sagging but I think it's because they've been like touring constantly for like 2 years but right. Like, yeah, they're just really good live. Yeah. So.
0: And then Keros. uh also got to see the Psychedelic Furs. Um <laughs>
2: I, Which did they did they do Pretty and Pink at the end or did they just get rid of it? first? No,
0: they got it out of the way very early. Yeah, um, but say. no, they did they did they did all the hits. You know, they did Love My Way, they did Heaven, they did Heartbreak Beat, right? Um, but it was funny. You know, my brother was with us at the show too, and he was like, you know, Richard Butler sounds great. I was like that's because his voice has always sounded tired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, that's yeah. that's just. But his he aesthetic. just yeah. he just looked. Super happy to have that big of an audience. Like he, he seemed to be absolutely floored by the size of the crowd. Um, so that I mean, was fun. And then, I mean, for some of these, I guys, don't know. It's if,
2: probably like you know how how long has it been since they've actually performed for a giant stadium show? You know what I mean? Exactly. And then um,
0: the the last band I'll call out that I saw. I don't know if Eric got a chance to see it because. One of the problems was there were three stages and the sets were overlapping, and so there was like this whole herd moving between stages, mm-hmm. you know, constantly, and you'd kind of get to see two-thirds of any set. Um, but I did catch the Blondie set. Okay. I never thought I would ever see Blondie live. Um, oh, I mean,
2: yeah.
3: Okay.
0: So Blondie, interesting. I mean, Debbie Harry is up there uh, and just, you know just looking like a bad bitch and and generally you know ruling over the crowd but she's also like 76 years old guys (laughs) like yeah she's uh she's a little you know it's a little hard for her to hit those high notes now and that being said i don't know how old clem burke the drummer is uh but holy shit he is still one hell of a drummer He's like
2: a Charlie um, Watts. He's like a Charlie Watts. He's just probably gonna. He going he's forever. playing
0: the hell out of the. He's making disco songs sound awesome. Uh, <laughs> really brought it um they you know Chris Stein is is normally the guitarist he's he's having some health issues so he's not touring so so what they've got instead is well it was actually on bass I don't quite understand how they've rotated the musicians around but they had the bass player from the Sex Pistols as as part of the band right um and one one little fun bit they did uh so during Heart of Glass which was one of the last songs they did um, at the end, they take the synthesizers and they turned it into "I Feel Love," the Marauder thing. <laughs> nice. But then they closed it out by playing the intro to "God Save the Queen."
2: <laughs> um, yeah, just because you know, they... probably just to cheese off Johnny Lydon. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they, I'm sure they didn't, but uh, I only bring it up because I just randomly happened across this uh, in the last week or so. But they've got a French version of their song "Sunday Girl." Uh, that's quite nice. It's almost it's like a French pop song mm. to do it that way. So I know they didn't play that, but that would no, be they didn't do exciting. that one. Okay,
0: but but give her credit. Seventy six year old woman got up and did the cheesy rap of Rapture. Uh, like, <laughs> well, I yeah. mean,
1: yeah, it's almost you have to. That's like enshrined <laughs> yeah. now. I it's, mean, the thing Bondi they've got so many good songs, but it's like. This is the third time I've seen them live, and I give them credit for still being able to do it. But at the same time, I'd rather listen to their greatest hits. Yeah, now, you know. Yeah, it's like I, it's like the, the the kind of the thing that disappointed me about this show was oh, there are a lot of bands I got to say I finally got to see them, but a number yeah. of them it wasn't enjoyable. It's just I get to check it off a you know list. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, Blondie. Did I- Go ahead.
0: The thing about Blondie was that there was a lot of goodwill in the crowd. Like everybody could see that she was maybe struggling with the singing. Yeah. But then the yeah. audience just lifted her up and sang along and was like, we're, we're doing
2: this. <laughs>
0: you know, so it was good. Exactly yeah.
1: Anyway, that, that is
2: true. So did, did either then, of you uh, express your, your goth bona fides and go see Christian death? You know, my wife w- was
0: wanting to go see Christian Death, and then we were listening to a bunch of music from the bands on this before the the show, and then she was like, "You know what? I'm over Christian Death." So <laughs> yeah, we didn't go see them. <laughs> They're
1: definitely a time um, place kind of band
2: for sure. Yeah,
1: their best. Yeah. Their, their, their their function is really just to you know piss off the squares when you put them on your flyer right
2: <laughs>
1: well what about um, uh, and i didn't see the damned eric did you do the damned set at all i saw the damned they they, yes. they rocked it they did I not need uh captain sensible yeah it was a great show uh dave vanian you- doing his thing and then they played that dumb song i cannot remember what it, but it's like it's the one that all the goth girls swoon to and it's it, it sounds like a spanish guitar thing oh the i can't the, uh- fucking remember what
2: uh, I hate waited this song. patiently for you. Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah! And it's like the yeah. same verse over and, o- over and over and over and over. Well, alone long again,
2: got, or yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. as long as you have got uh, like early stuff, like uh, a new rose and stuff like that. Video nasty. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, burglar, when, smash when, it up. Yeah, when they were still punk, like before Vanian like took over the band and they became that weird new romantic thing. Yeah. Which I still like, but it's like they're two separate bands entirely. It's funny. If you've ever yeah. seen the documentary about him, like they talked to Captain Sensible uh about the when he did his solo album and had Watt and he did uh happy talk and happy like that and, he, and they're talking about like he didn't expect it to be such a big hit but he's like but you know i it was fine i got a bunch of dosh for it so i'm happy <laughs> <laughs> it's like he was totally in front with it was just for the money uh, yeah yeah stuff. i
0: sold
1: out and cashed in and it's yeah. fine fuck yeah. it <laughs> fuck
2: it <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so let's see so, i saw that i saw um uh uh violent femmes oh, that guy yeah, sounds the about same all the time uh so they, yeah, yeah are they still i mean a good show Good show, show, yeah. But you know, think of think of the 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 song list of Violent Femmes. Not too demanding, you know. That guy's voice sounds the same, and they just played their shit. But it was just it was neat to see them, you know. Did that's a high energy crowd? yeah, Yeah. Somehow in my head, I still see like. Those songs being sung by a gawky 17 year old with zero that's, muscle tone, but his, his hands balled into fists, you know, yeah. and and now it's kind of like like an old guy from like, a uh, yeah, hermits or something. Yeah, like. <laughs> but, yeah but, they're, they're, but most of their
2: song catalog is so iconic. Like if they if they do add it up, you know, the entire crowd is going to be singing along yeah
0: talk. oh, a- oh my anything God. from yeah. the first album the whole yeah, crowd yeah. is singing along
1: yeah yeah I, I, I mean they were playing their songs and everybody's having a great time but when he goes day the place <laughs> fucking exploded oh, yeah. it was yeah. awesome yeah they've been,
2: they've been, day yeah. they've been milking that for 40 years i mean jesus it's fucking good
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's it's like a gen x uh you know clo Secret handshake, right? Like if you know the these songs, and you ready to you know if you know the if you know how to count the you know I take one 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 from my heart. Like if you know all of those, yeah, then you're in the club, guys. Right?
1: It's their whippet That song is definitely that (laughs) is their whip. It's like all these bands have their whip it. Uh, Blondie (laughs) is nothing but whippets, but like everybody's got that. (laughs) that The posers (laughs) know. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah, good. no, it was a good time. I'm glad I
0: went. It was, yeah.
2: it was hot. It was long. There was a lot of driving, but are you, uh, I had a good time. Are you? Are you done with festivals? Or are you gonna? Yes. get this and like. I'm not six doing that ago? shit no more.
1: <laughs> Unless they're on a boat. Unless they're on a boat, fuck them. No, yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I, okay.
0: I, okay. I gotta say, I'm much more about having air conditioning and seating at this point. Right? Please. Yeah. Um, exactly but exactly. but yeah we had a good time i don't know what it, what lineup it would take to get us to show up to another one but yeah. i believe it could be done <laughs> for so my money we'll it's like
2: these nostalgia tours like the only way that i i would ever go to one now is if they actually managed to resurrect one of the band members from the dead to actually play for me that's <laughs> like the only reason I would <laughs> that's go. what the
1: holograms are for but no i i saw like when i saw these bands i saw them all in like shit clubs you know that like held you know two or three hundred people right Mm -hmm. they were maybe not blondie but like you know like when i would see shows around that time very small places i just was i was never suited for enormous like festival seating anyway Mm -hmm. so i refuse to believe this is because i'm old this is because of taste I just don't think you can enjoy anything when you're milling about in like on a golf course. Well, I'm only sorry <laughs> that you you saw a house for the first time, but it was not in a little club with black
2: lights and fog machines. Oh, that I don't care. They're that's gods. The only, I mean, yeah. that's
1: fine.
3: <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, no, even even like they They knew what they were doing. there was plenty of fog and plenty of dry ice and somehow they had a cameraman who kept a tight shot on peter murphy 's face and he's okay. got like this white goatee, and he's bald now, and he's like wearing yule brenner's shirt or something from the King and I, and he's just looking absolutely badass and they ah. they they put the shot of just his face on the button the giant screen so he mm. and they made it black and white and so he's just like ruling over the crowd and <laughs> i smell it like, yeah, t-shirt. yeah no. and it turns I out
1: it t-shirt. turns out that uh peter murphy is actually john malkovich that's what i there learned from that shot oh he or looks yes. exactly like yeah. him
2: or the great and powerful Oz from the description i can't tell but yeah no, okay. it totally worked. It, it's, it, he, looks, he looks
0: more badass now than he did back in the day. Like, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he, he,
2: he ruled it. I cut you up, man. So, cut
0: yeah, Eric and I, that was a fresh shit this week. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, okay. Chris, what do you got? Uh, well, I also went and saw a live show of sorts, but... Holy shit! Uh, it was not music. Uh, my wife... Are you familiar with Professor Brian Cox? Who's a BBC yes. presenter a physicist? Yeah. Uh, and he he's perennial stuck in that like nineties rip hop look. Uh yeah, he's thought of that. And, and he's got this great Mancunian accent that just floored me. But we've been watching him for, for like ten, twelve years now, doing his shows on BBC about physics. Because he's really good about putting it into layman's terms. Uh, so you don't have to be mathematically adept. Uh, But he's got a tour right now called Professor Brian Cox Horizons, a 21st century space odyssey. But basically you get up and it's like a show at a planetarium where he's got all this like multimedia uh, stuff in the background and good graphics and things. And he just talks about black holes and the beginning and the end of the universe. And uh, it's a noodle bender, man. I mean, you walk out of there and you feel so existentially small. And worthless in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. And that's just physics done right, as far as I'm concerned. If you don't feel minuscule when you watch a physics lecture, they're doing it wrong. But, you uh, know,
0: Devo had a bit about that, about how insignificant we all were watching the Devo concert. But yeah. um, probably not as mind-bending as Brian
1: Cox. Oh, Nothing, man. None of that stuff ever makes me feel insignificant, I must say. I hear that all the time. This will make you feel insignificant. Yeah. My mom did a good job on me. I always feel insignificant. <laughs> so like none of this stuff really touches
2: that. Yeah. Well he did a he does a whole segment where he talks about uh crossing the event horizon of a black hole to get to the mm-hmm. singularity. And basically the, the the gist of it is that if you if you were an astronaut that somehow went into a black hole, uh you would just float around for about 36 hours where everything would be nice and calm and cool and collected and you'd just have a good time. And then suddenly things would just end. <laughs> he just you'd said, that Did he go he into the d- spaghettification? Yeah. He's like, it would just stop. Uh, and so he just, it was a lot along those lines, but part of the show is he's got another presenter with him to come and help lighten the mood. Cause physics can get really heavy. I mean, at times. I mean, it just—it's just the nature of physics. And this other guy comes out. Who's—I uh, I guess he's a comedian or something. But he does other shows with him, and he just makes fun of Brian Cox uh, for about five or ten minutes. To, look the <laughs> uh, but he's just like—he's like the best thing about
0: everything's meaningless and
2: insignificant. Yeah. But please stop by the gift shop, yeah. everybody. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, <laughs> they stick like that. But his—his—I think the best thing he did was he talks about. Yeah, the, the thing I like about working with Professor Brian Cox is that. He's just so, you know, pleasant about everything. And so it's like, you're going to die and you're going to die and you're going to die and it's not going to
1: matter. And everybody's it's like, tr- oh, it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. His voice sounds like he's narrating a Beatrix Potter book. Yeah. You know, it's, it's and quite then fun. You fall into the black hole yeah. and you get ripped into little tiny pieces, into yeah. atoms, in fact. Uh-huh.
2: It's i like, love it yeah whoa the way, the, the way he says universe just my wife and i sit around and just repeat it back to each other all the time because it's just funny but it's <laughs> the universe the wonders of the universe and it's just like oh but you're gonna die so, and you're gonna die
1: i remember he, he had a, a one special that was like um so how much of this bullshit in doctor who could actually happen yes and i, I yeah. it was really fascinating
2: <laughs> yeah he's he's so, one of my favorite presenters yeah definitely
0: Chris, the the thing that blows me away is like, you haven't been willing to go to a movie theater for a couple of years now because of COVID. Yeah. yeah. And you actually went to a thing with an audience. Yes. Was this like the first
2: thing you've gone out and done since COVID? Uh, Apart from like eating in restaurants, yeah. This is pretty much the first like entertainment venue thing we did. And it's only because it's like we're never going to see it again. I doubt I'm going to see Brian Cox uh, give a physics lecture. Uh, in, in yeah, he's kind kinda of like future. Blondie that way. You know? um, <laughs> so, you know, it's just it was just like a weird, fun thing that we decided to do. Like the, the damned are coming and we were looking at that. We were like, no, fuck that. We don't really want to see that. So we decided on this. So it was fun. And the best part was he's got merch because it's like a rock tour because he used to be a, uh, <laughs> a musician. And so he said he contacted a merch company and, uh, and he's got some nice things like the, the theory of relativity uh, equation that's on the back and then like the, the tear thing, but he's got another shirt. He's like, they, they kind of talked me into this in a moment of weakness. And, uh, he's horrified by it. Cause basically it's like him just writ large, this image of his face, uh, on the front of the shirt, and on the back is all the tour dates. And he's like, Nob- nobody's he's like, nobody's gonna buy this. He's like you that's here.
1: amazing.
0: That's exactly the one you buy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I. And so, I yeah, I, I imagine that's exactly like the shirt Jackson Brown probably had. Like exactly. 30, 40 yes. years ago. it looks
2: exactly like a seventies, eighties like tour thing with a solo and, artist. And, and he so looks ridiculous. like
1: Jackson Brown, so
0: maybe it's just yeah. a Jackson Brown. Yeah. Shirt yeah but you can yeah. tell he's like
2: horrified by it but he's like doing this roundabout thing it's like well they may be a collector's item because we're not selling plenty right now and so it's like this <laughs> so, and people this like is- line up and find <laughs> i like that's genius
1: man that's genius yeah what so, a great way to get everybody to line up for that one yeah um, oh that's funny
2: uh so yeah it was fun talking about uh, black holes and singularities and event horizons and how uh math is uh ridiculously complicated yet so simple. I mean, it's just weird shit, but he would get up and he would do equations on his little iPad that you would see, but he would, he's like, okay, now it's time for my uh, equation solo. And he'd put a leg up on the monitor. He's <laughs> like, you know, if, if, you're a, if you're at a music show, this would be like the guitar. solo. But I'm going to write an equation. And then he would, you would do some equation to explain some of the black hole quantum theory. Uh, stuff. This is so amazing. It was, yeah. yeah. I love that's this. Great. I think he's coming to Portland, Eric, and like, uh, mid-june you should definitely check it out if you can it's fucking hilarious but also just mind bendy fun so something different
1: i'll go if uh, i can convince the wife i don't want to go to something like that alone i will fall asleep
2: (laughs) (laughs) no it's entertaining it's entertaining but uh there you have it so yeah that's literally what i did we we went saw a physics lecture Uh, all right yeah and i'm i'm better than you for it right that's not some Doesn't matter concept. you're going to die too. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Hopefully when I get stuck through a black hole, that's my that's my way to go. So. <laughs> Fresh coral. Right. All right. On with the show.
3: Oh.
1: Okay, so uh, uh, John Woo uh yeah, has yeah. has these two two like very separate careers. One as a very successful Hong Kong action genre sort of noir filmmaker yeah. and then on the strength of that work he comes to America and just goes Eugh. and I think it's like it's it's very sad kind of thing he wanted to be in America making films America wanted him here making films but they did not in any way know what to do with this guy yeah. I want to I, 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 I want to point out okay he a Better Tomorrow and A Better Tomorrow 2 are really great. I, I think, are those the ones that got released as, uh, uh, God, what was it, Hard-boiled? Was no, that? Hard Boiled? No, Hard Boiled is its own movie. A Better
2: Tomorrow came yeah. out, and that was like sort of the start of the whole gun right? Like, blood brotherhood, whatever genre that uh, became his thing.
1: Right. Oh no, that's right. Hardboiled came out after The Killer, and, and yeah. I, I would say The Killer, to me at least, is like the Aida of gun operas. I mean, it yeah. is it is the standard. It is it's, just fucking beautiful.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the pinnacle of his Hong Kong output for that genre. It's got all of his hallmarks, and then if you look at his American films, it's like he basically took everything uh, signature-wise from that and just parlayed it into <laughs> these crazy Hollywood right. movies. Uh,
1: so yeah and it's it's very operatic it's very over the top and it's it, it, I, I think there's something about the film stock was this shot in like 16 millimeter or it just looks so grainy and awful and wonderful at the same time
2: i think it's just because <laughs> uh it's hong kong and they've got smaller budgets and so you just do what you can maybe and what you got so but
1: the, yeah something about the look of that film it, it's just uh, hypnotic but then you know he 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 does that for a while, and somebody realizes this guy is the shit. Uh, I think I I think it's the killer that was a big deal when it finally came over on VHS. Yeah, probably because of Tarantino saying you gotta you gotta get this guy. Yeah,
2: and we've uh, all we've all seen these, right? How many of you seen Brian? Because you're not as filmy as me and Eric. So so.
0: Uh, yeah, so so for this episode, I believe I've done zero of the homework. I don't believe I've seen any John Woo movies whatsoever. Ev- not ball. even like Mission Impossible 2. Like, I've seen oh, none of it.
2: Balls, sir. How do you get away with that? With, with <laughs> none. Like, I, was, I was asking
0: myself that same question. How do I get away with this podcast having no
2: information? Well, no, to, not just yeah, this I mean. podcast, but just how do you live? I mean, without seeing at least one yeah. John Woo movie.
1: I can um, see it. I mean, honestly, like all the, the John Woos I saw, it was just because, you know, it was VHS release stuff yeah. and I was a dork. And, uh, yeah, everything that, else that's is my answer. I didn't great. work at
2: a video store.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's well, Al. not even that.
2: Well, here's all you need to know, Brian. Uh, like if you do his Hong Kong output, there are th- the three that you should watch uh, are A Better Tomorrow, the first one. Uh, better tomorrow too. I mean, whatever. They just they take a lot of liberties, and he basically just did it for the money. Uh, like they bring characters back from the dead, and there's a whole bunch of ridiculous uh, stuff. It, so it's just it to me, it's not. It's it's crazy, fun, I mean, kinetic. But it's I'm not aware
0: really. of John Woo. I'm aware yeah. of his movies, and I'm aware of of the. You know, the stylistic gun-fu right. stuff that everybody else copied. Yeah. I just have never watched one of these movies. Well,
2: well, the, the killer, like Eric was saying, that's like his Aida. I mean, it's literally the one that you should watch just because it's all of his stylistic mm-hmm. ticks. Yeah. So it's...
1: It's kind of the culmination of everything he'd been working on up to that point. Yeah.
2: And so it's like the slow motion stuff, the freeze frames of the characters to kind of cement their mood for that moment. Uh, to drive it home. There's the fucking doves everywhere, the Christian imagery, <laughs> uh, and just the the guns that don't run out of bullets, and these just crazy... Or jam. Crazy, yeah, and these just I love, crazy I love, action sequences. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, they're just crazy action sequences, but yeah, they never jam.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all the look. Uh, but there's, yeah, the whole thing, um, uh, uh, Samuel Jackson in... Uh, Oh god, what was the the Tarantino film? The Pulp Fiction? Jackie Brown, he Jackie talks Brown. about how uh every every gangster had to have a 45 after the killer came out. Yeah. But problem with 45, 45 jams. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. But it's just but it's all the crazy stuff, but then it's also the like the the duality of the cop and the criminal motif uh where they're really just walking two sides of the same line. And so there's just a a total gray area and it's all about loyalty, blah, blah, blah. And then there's this weird underpinning of like homoeroticism. That's not explicit, but if you watch it enough, you're like, Oh, okay. That's very strange that you would, you would do that, uh, with all of this (laughs) religious imagery. Uh, so the killers got all of that. And then for my money, hard boiled is the more balls out action flick. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a lot going on in that because I love that it. It's basically it's the criminals have like a an arms cache for illicit uh, weapons deals and they keep it hidden uh, in the basement of a hospital. And like the whole thing with his thematics is like, well, basically the whole thing that's supposed to protect you, the hospital is just basically uh covering up all of the gross violence and shit that's going on. He's got all these like weird thematic shit. But then the end of it just turns into like 30 minutes of die hard where they effectively blow up the hospital. They're evacuating infants. Uh, There's like a two minute 42 second uh, continuous scene where the two heroes are basically just blasting their way through this hospital i mean it's just insanity brian you need to see at least the killer and hardboiled if you want like full-on just this is how gunfu is done and so hard was like his swan song uh to that genre and then he got enticed over to hollywood and that's where it just all went to fucking shit yeah i don't get it or i do i but mean i don't you know
1: i mean hard target that makes a certain amount of sense to me as like if not an audition piece, at least uh, learning how to work with an American crew. You know, it's not a serious film. No. But it's work. It's it's definitely his
2: most Hong Kong-y of his
1: American output. That is true. But Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's useless. His real first movie is Broken Arrow, and that is crazy. That uh, is a stupid, (laughs) crazy film. Well, that's
2: just it. And it took like uh, three years or something between hard-boiled and broken arrow or hard target because hard target uh it made money because it was van damme but i didn't realize this that they the the studio basically just interfered from the get-go and they brought in because Mm -hmm. of the language barrier brought in sam raimi who was an acolyte of these types of movies like dark man you could look at it and go oh he watched a bunch of john john woo but they put basically sam raimi in charge of like overseeing this because they had this chinese director first like big time opportunity for an Asian director and the racism is just rampant in this idea that they just had to control him because they thought he would just fuck it all up. It's like, that's just nuts and that sets the tenor for everything else afterwards. And
0: that was Hard Target or was that
2: that's hard? Arrow? That's Hard Target. That's what Van Damme okay. uh, which is just Van Damme in New Orleans as a, some sort of Cajun who gets sucked into these rich guys who do like a hunting humans for sport kind of thing yeah. and Lance Hendrickson is the big bad and it's just
1: it's ugh. it my, my, my I guess uh, I don't know problem with the American John Woo films is not with John Woo it's that they knew he was a name they knew he was a product or a brand of film that they wanted but they didn't want him actually doing what he did right. to yeah. become John Woo yeah right. uh, so that's the part probably, I don't get Yeah, yeah. why, why yeah, hire him if, if he's you, not going to do you fucking the hire you anybody if you're just going to like stick your own thing in there yeah. like, you're just going to do your own thing and and the thing with John Woo I don't get the, the impression that he cares I don't I don't think right? he's like hey this is my art it's more like yeah fuck it you're paying the bills yeah. go for it well I mean yeah
2: he's probably just chasing that thing But when you get to Broken Arrow, the thing that struck me about that is it was so not a John Woo movie. I mean, it's got literally none of his hallmarks. It's just Mm -hmm. a straight up like from the writer of Speed, Graham Yost, uh, chase film uh, with nuclear weapons and Travolta chewing a bunch of scenery. It's just, yeah, uh, it's astonishingly
1: bland. And I just I totally forgotten how just generic it is christian slater was somehow still getting work Uh, (laughs) but yeah his his sort of uh uh reputation for making interesting choices had long passed yeah (laughs) and then john travolta like you know having had so many comebacks he felt it was necessary to make another one necessary yeah so he does another shit film like this but yeah it does lead up to face off which, Which is, is the most batshit Hollywood oh, epic wait, action that I've movie. seen. <laughs> yeah, that's Nick, fun.
2: With Travolta that's, and Nick Cage. That's the
1: movie, yeah. When people say they don't like Nick Cage films, I always go to that and I'm like, really? You don't like that? Because that yeah. is fucking I mean,
2: awesome. It's, it's such a dumb, <laughs> dumb movie, but it's still weirdly entertaining to watch in its over-the-topness. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. if I go back and look at, like, 90s action epics, like, I would choose this, I would choose speed, uh, things like that as ones that I can rewatch that have entertainment value. Because Face Off is just both Travolta and Cage just chewing as much scenery as humanly possible all the time. (laughs) It's so
1: nuts. (laughs) And John Woo is finally, like, you know, sort of given license to do John Woo. Yeah. You've got the, the, the dual gun, sh- you know, like gun wielding. Yeah. You've got the uh, the hero and the villain, you know, sort of confirming that they are two sides of the same coin. Right. You know, especially In the most with the literal story way possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the it's a really fun kind of thing where the cop <clears throat> who despises the criminal is forced into his shoes and sees that, you know, he's kind of ruined the lives of the people around the bad guy and the bad guy has to go to the grave of the cop's son who he killed you know accidentally when he was trying to kill the cop yeah and sort of face that you know uh, there's a there's a brilliant scene where John Travolta as you know who's the good who's the cop but Nick Cage is under there so it's it's John Travolta doing an impression of Nick Cage kicks the shit out of a guy who's getting a little too handsy with the cop's daughter and it's it's so awesome because it's like this moment where he's a bad guy and he doesn't care but in this moment he flips it's like okay this will not stand and it's a fun kind of yeah i don't know evil being good moment yeah I, i love this movie for those little things
2: Yeah, and it's so, yeah, but it's so typically woo, though, because you get, again, the slow motion stuff, the gunfu, and then the church at the end with the doves. With the doves. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's like, it's so unmistakably him. uh, Yet it's this, like, giant uh, Hollywood production with name stars and budgets and blah, blah, blah. So it's, yeah, it's such a weird ass movie. And he didn't want to do it forever. He, like, kept pushing it off and then finally said, okay, fine. And then now it's like one of the, the premier action movies <laughs> of the decade. It's so yeah. strange. It's yeah. so strange.
1: Uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, uh, Nick Cage actually wrapped um, Con Air the day before he started face off. He, he hadn't actually read it. He nice. just, you know, was like, okay, I'm done here. I'm going there. I'm going to cut my hair. And now I'm on this. And the first scene they did was him high with the other criminals going, yeah. oh, going to cut his face his off, off. Like off. he made that up, Yeah, you know, <laughs> like on the spot, not really knowing anything except the title. And yeah. so he just worked it into like a, yeah. a little improv. It's so, so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it's dumb, is- but it knows it's dumb. Yeah. So I forgive it. But this is like, like where it's strange
2: because if you look at the stuff he did in Hong Kong, uh, they're very specific and those are very much flavored by stuff like I don't know if you guys have ever seen *Les Samurai* from the '60s by Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, which is sort of a pseudo-noir about a hitman. The killer is very much uh, modeled on aspects of that. They're yeah. very, they're very tight, sort of singular dramas almost. Whereas his Hollywood output—that's
1: like uh, you yeah. said that is one of his three most favorite films. Yeah, and it's you like, could tell, you, know, you that could was tell. The, and it's all
2: over. Yeah, yeah. If you watch *Les Samurai*, it's basically John Woo without the gunfu it's literally yeah. uh that but then you get to these grandiose Hollywood spectacles and face off to me is like the apex it's like where do you uh-huh. go from this i mean there's no way forward for me uh from that well, oh isn't the
0: next one mission
2: impossible well you well, would you yeah. would think you would and think
1: the the thing is though like uh okay so so like mission impossible the first one was um oh god I, why do i always forget it's de palma yeah de palma right and you know he he became kind of the meat in the uh actor producer Sandwich of Tom Cruise who then decided okay we're gonna have a different approach every film who's who's hot but different from that last guy john Wu right is yeah. yeah and yeah, so then you get all the wooziness <laughs> in an mission impossible film and given the the the, the you looking at the way the franchise has worked out, it's such a weird movie.
2: It is, and the, the fact that it's written by Robert Town makes it even weirder. It's like, yeah. they basically just, they set this thing up like a 70s spy thriller, but then John Woo comes in and adds all the John Woo stuff <laughs> to it, and it's like, it's a very weirdly, like, structured, pieced-together thing. It does like, it, it's incongruous to me, because it's like, you get all the, the flash and bang of John Woo, but then you get, like, that weird, like, 70s spy film crammed in from Robert Town, and then you got... Tom Cruise with the Tom Cruise hair and the big flashy grin doing just God knows what until you have like that
1: long hair. Yeah. Remember he had long hair, which oh, is yeah. re- again, very weird, but very nineties. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, yeah. And it's just, it,
2: I watched it recently. It's like nothing happens in this movie for like two hours, like zero, nothing at all happens. I I can't even fathom how it became and, the
1: biggest movie of that year, 2000. Yeah. Oh. And you forget Anthony Hopkins is in it, even. Like, in the very beginning, to give him his mission. And he has no reason to be there other than to be Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And making some Uh,
2: very just insanely inappropriate misogynist statements about Tandy Newton and women in general. I mean, the whole movie, just from the get-go, it's just this astounding artifact (laughs) that just falls so flat. And then by the end, you get, like, the motorcycle chase where they're actually... Uh, him and the bad guy, square off and then start playing chicken. And then at one point, they both basically hit the brakes and leap off and fly at each other mid-air <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and collide yeah. to start the fist fight at the end of the movie. It's just the most insane, yeah. like, just ridiculous. It's like, they just oh, this would be good. This will be fun. And it has no bearing on anything. Yeah. I mean, it's just so dumb. Somebody
1: had to have screened that and just said, okay, we're not going to do this again, yeah. you know, because... Then you know. After that, we get J.J. Abrams, and it gets that sort of homogenous feel it's got now. Yeah. But Mission Impossible Two is just just craziness. It's Chris. Yeah, you it's sounded like you, you were saying
0: weird. there was a movie in between um, Face Off and Mission Impossible that we missed here.
2: No, no, that's the that's the oh, okay. No, okay, yeah, yeah, that goes right okay. too. Uh, So,
0: so then what happens?
2: Well, the weird thing that I noticed too, uh, that's like the that's like his peak in Hollywood because you know giant number one movie of the year and if you watch it stylistically I don't know Eric if you recall this but there are certain sequences in it where I'm looking at it going this is very Michael Mann almost the way he's got the the setups and stuff like Heat and like Thief and it's sort of like this is like Wu like is this John Woo's version of Hollywood is to to then take on directors like that it's a very strange like Frankenstein sort of thing Uh, but it becomes this big boffo hit. And then like, what does he do? It's like, he's already done these like crazy
1: two years later. He does his Academy award pitch. Yeah. Like he, uh, that's the way I look at the (laughs) wind Talkers Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) attempt at, you know, like, yeah. Oscar bait.
2: Yeah. Which is about the, was it Nick Cage is like a Marine who's supposed to protect the, the native American who does the code. Yeah talking
1: they do they do we do our in japan this is and this is this is true we our code uh yeah, you know, our codes were based on apache because the japanese had no fucking idea what that was yeah or nav one, one of them yeah yeah but that meant we can't let the japanese capture any of our codemen because then they'll get the code so yeah. he was supposed to protect them but he was also in case they were going to be captured kill them
2: I, you know, and I got to be honest with you. I've only seen snippets of Windtalkers because after Mission Impossible 2, I'm like, I just, I can't. I just, <laughs> I'm like, they just. too heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it was almost like, because cause Mission Impossible 2 came on the heels of Michael Bay's Ascendancy, and you could just see that sort of flavoring the way action movies were going. And I just, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm done. I can't do it. And then I saw Windtalkers, and I thought, well, that's intriguing, but I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. And yeah. I, I always loved right.
1: that story. I always thought that 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 story from World War II should have been a film. I just I don't know. This. Somehow I think he's got too much John Woo style. He yeah, can't yeah. divorce himself from his style to just tell a story, and that's sad. Well, apparently that's kind the, of where you realize that John Woo's d- does best at making John Woo like films. Yeah, but not much else.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. Apparently the the dialogue in it is just laughable. Uh, yeah, and you know, basically just a bunch of strung together action sequences that work, but otherwise it's just totally empty. Which is like that's that's a John Woo movie for the most part, if you yeah. ask me. Yeah,
1: not not a lot of thought on script. Yeah, uh,
2: but it's just yeah. And then by the end, uh, that moves into his final Hollywood movie with Ben Affleck and Uma Thurman, uh, based on a. Loosely based, I might add, on a uh, Philip K. Dick story called Paycheck. And that sums everything up for me right there. Like <laughs> your, your, your final Hollywood movie is called literally Paycheck. I just love that. Irony. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I I always thought I, of that as that's why Ben Affleck did it. But
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I guess yeah. it works for Wu too. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I can't think of... I, d- I don't even remember this film, but I know yeah. if Ben Affleck was in it, it couldn't have been good.
2: And, and that's like early aughts Ben Affleck, where he was just making as much drek as humanly possible. It's like he <laughs> he, tr- he actively tried to kill his career, I'm thinking, uh, and just yeah. somehow didn't for whatever reason, and I just am astonished by that. But when you look at the, the – from from Hard Target to Paycheck, at six movies – Made within the Hollywood system. Uh, very different results each movie. And you could just tell that the studios just kept their sticky little fingers in everything that was going on and just didn't allow him to be John Woo. So by the time you get to the end, uh, especially after Mission Impossible 2, it's sort of like he's just, he's probably just sleepwalking. Well, I'm probably on contract. I got to finish these. Fuck this. Let's just go. And then he's done. Yeah. And then he goes back to Hong Kong and. Sort of goes into, like, historical epics and things like that. It's just a weird,
1: weird career. It's so strange. I just don't get it. I, I think John Woo is just, he's got a bigger name than, and he's not untalented. It's just that his name was bigger than his output. Right. It's like, he's good, he's not that good, you know? Yeah. He's almost a legend based on very little. But yeah. the killer is still genius. They're They're great. But then if you look
2: at uh, his output, then you can start seeing, like, all the other filmmakers that come after the, that owe almost yeah. everything to him. Like Robert Rodriguez, you, I'll single out specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't have John Woo. You, don't, you get, don't have that. You don't get the raid without John Wu. Yes, exactly. That's another big one. Uh, Gareth Edwards. it's Yeah. You, you don't see that. Yeah. Uh, So it's just this weird thing. But even like Michael Bay, you could tell that Michael Bay watched the John Woo stuff but only focused in on the kinetic stuff and then just Mm -hmm. ramped that to 12 and just made that his thing. And then that suddenly became the it factor. That's probably also what killed John Woo's Hollywood output. It was because other guys like Michael Bay came along and just turned it into this Ritalin-fueled just nonsense salad you know yeah. it's just i think it was uh, probably
1: more tarantino who like had the same sort of action auteur thing but you know was i guess actually writing words it's like i i don't think quentin tarantino is a very good writer but at right. least he's writing something whereas you know jung Wu scripts are a pastiche of clash of clichés yeah well you, you do but
2: fits i think the closest corollary to jung wu actually would be like Luke Besson.
1: Because
2: he he also trafficked in those, uh, like, noir action whatever. The only difference is that I think Besson, because he comes from France, has a more stylized Western voice, uh, and that's more palatable to American audiences. So that's probably why he got away with stuff like, uh, you know, the professional and then moved into Fifth Element and stuff like that. So his career is like I a thought,
1: success story. Yeah, I thought La Femme Nikita is another film you don't really get without you know the sort of mm. preeminence of John Woo. But now that you mention it, you remember that horrible film that Brian told us about a couple of years ago of <laughs> Yeah, Which one? Um, uh, which one? <laughs> oh, what's his name? Something in the
0: City of a th- Thousand Planets or the Shitty of a Thousand Shits. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's it? I can't remember the name of the the lead yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fine. But the
1: thing is, okay, yeah. La Fe- Nikita was, you know, like not had nowhere near that level of budget, so it had to rely on its its story and its characters. Yeah. Once he had a budget, that's when shit went sideways. <laughs> I, I I I wonder, like, actually, you know, John Woo had to work off of what he had, and he had an audience built in that knew what they wanted. Yeah, and it was what John Wu was selling. Once he got here, just too much money and not enough connection to the audience. Well, that's the weird
0: yeah, thing. And, and in fairness, once Luc Besson got the money take away, he he made Anna again, which is basically a remake of La Femme Nikita, but it works. Yeah, you know, like yeah. there's some people who just need to be working within their within their lane.
2: Yeah, stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. <laughs> but the weird thing with John Wu is that like hard target, like that is just that's his most uh, unfiltered output for an American audience because it's just straight up a Hong Kong action epic. You just insert uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme instead of Chow Yun-Fat. Uh, but he
1: didn't really make it. Well, like you said, he was just sort of there and- Well, he, he basically- his ideas to a translator that Sam Raimi would take care yeah, of.
2: But I mean, he basically threw everything at the wall- Uh, but there was so much meddling. You could tell by the time he gets to Broken Arrow, he's just like, well, if this is how the studio system works, then we'll just work within the studio system because they're paying me. I mean, it's kind of that vibe. So they're all sort of weirdly empty at the center, all of his Hollywood movies. And I think that's what's most noticeable to me because when you go back and watch his 80s, early 90s output in Hong Kong, they're ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, but they're also fun and there's that core uh, drama at the center between you know the good versus bad and how they kind of had that hit that gray area, and it's it just makes for a fun time. But by the time you get to Hollywood in the '90s, it's just that's all just gone. It's just straight up like Speed Two Cruise Control every single time, and it's just no, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, all so, right. So of these,
1: Brian, I think we, I think we've. I think we've we've brought this to a, a, a fair conclusion. He he's good in Chinese. He's not in English. Well, I mean, of there these films,
2: go. like which, which one would you be most apt to, to try, Brian? Based on these descriptions,
0: eh, I mean, probably the killer.
1: Okay, but fair. You know, don't hold your breath. I mean, <laughs> definitely yeah. see the killer. Maybe see bullet in the head.
3: Which is, that's Bullet in the weird, head is
1: really good too. That's weird.
2: That's like John Woo's version of Deer Hunter. It's so strange. Yeah, There's like Tiananmen Square, <laughs> like the whole nine yards. So yeah, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, sure. Watch The Killer if you want to be basic. I'm kidding. It's a good movie. what's an intro <laughs>
1: for? It's like you've never listened to Pink Floyd. Okay, here's The Wall. If yeah. you like this, I'll have more later. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. Okay. So uh, John Woo, we're sorry Hollywood did you dirty. Uh, you know, maybe you'll get interesting again. Woo woo
1: <laughs> I don't know. I uh, think I just completely blew out my mic. Let me try that again. Woo woo There we go. <laughs> <laughs> woo. Anyway, all right, take folks. Us out, Ryan. I'll take us out. Hey, if you like the show, why
0: don't you subscribe to it? Why don't you share it with your friends on your social media feeds? Uh, why, why don't, don't you, you call
1: us your mother? <laughs>
0: yeah, worries she,
1: about you. She, she
0: does she does? <laughs> And, and you can tell your mom to follow us at MagHuge on Twitter. Uh, you can tell her to email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. You can tell her to go on the Facebook or, or, if she's really adventurous, the Instagram and find the Magnificently Huge podcast and follow us there. Or you can just tell her to go to maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. You can find links to all of that and all of our old shows. and Huge. Yeah, we do this every week, and we'll catch you next one. Huge huge